Chapter 6 I wasn't sure you'd ever come back, she says. The hands in her pockets bring her shoulders together, giving the illusion of a shrug. Clearly, she's unsure of the me who is here. I wasn't either. I glance at the attic. Remember how we used to play there? When she breaks into a smile, I relax a little. This is the Anne I want to see. Sunny side up starts with her face. The attic was our clubhouse. Margot was the president. You kept the records. I did the food. Even then. By the way, your shop looks adorable, I say. I'm not trying to butter her up. Uh, well, yes, I am. I know there's a butt behind that smile, and I want to put her at ease. I love the logo. I love the whole place. A lot of work? Nah, it's just breakfast and lunch. Giving her time to elaborate, I pull up the bottom section of stairs. It creaks as it folds, but soon enough, the base covers the hatch with only a short piece of rope hanging to lower it again. Anne is too quiet. Normally, she would go on about sunny side up, which is why I raise the issue. The shop is something she does well, but she is definitely uneasy. Gently, I say, I'm not here to cause trouble, Annie. That's the last thing I want. Her eyes hold mine. They're the same dark green as Joy's when she's scared. What's the first? I consider. How to prioritize. Seeing Dad, I guess. So how did that work for you? A voice inside me asks, and I wince. He didn't look pleased. He was unsettled, is all. He didn't expect you to come. If I'd known ahead of time, I could have prepared him. How bad is he? She wrinkles her nose. Not bad at all. You'll see. He eats, he sleeps, he walks, he talks. He does everything he normally did, except work. And remember who Joy is. But he does, she enthuses with a new light in her eyes. He kept looking back at her in the car and saying, Mallory's daughter, Mallory's daughter, like he didn't believe she was here. And he said it in a really excited way. He loves that you brought her. I hoped that. The alternative was that his repetition of who she is was an attempt to drum it in so that he didn't forget again. His memory isn't what it used to be, Anne goes on. He wants to see the three of us here, and Joy looks like Margot. It was wishful thinking, is all. He isn't the only one suffering from that. I cross to the window. The beauty of being on the bluff is that every window has a striking view. This one is part ocean, part land. I want to focus on the ocean half, which is more open, certainly more soothing to me. But that's the coward's way. Land is where the people are. Sure, open ocean can be lethal, but so can people. Is my father a murderer or is he not? The answer isn't out there in the deep blue. It's here, on land. Returning, I sit on the bench at the foot of the bed and pat the spot beside me, like I would do at home with joy. Seeming grateful for the invitation, Anne comes right over and sits close enough beside me that our arms touch. And there's a memory here, too. For an instant, we're conspirators again. I whisper, remember ganging up on Margot? She whispers back, oh, yeah. We're both eyeing the closed hatch. She'd be up there ordering us around, and we'd sit here so quiet, so quiet that she'd finally come to the door and look down and see us and hit the roof that we hadn't already come back with her peanut butter triscuits. 
We'd just stare up at her. It took two of us to defy her. She wasn't always bad. She was imperious. And where did she get that? I ask, the words slipping out before I can think better of it. Anne angles away to face me. Don't blame Dad. If he was imperious, it was because Mom needed direction. Mom was a ditz. Only when she was with Dad. He didn't take kindly to competent women. But he has a heart, Mal. He suffered when the family broke apart. He's been lonely. Oh, there are a number of things I might say to that. The first involving my mother, who did not need direction. She proved that ten times over after the divorce. She was a strong woman held down by an authoritarian thumb. Why she allowed it was another of the questions I wanted to ask, but that would take us off topic. Levely, I say, I'm just trying to explain why Margot grew to be forceful. She wasn't the boy Dad wanted, but he pushed her to accomplish. When she refused to go into law, there was a huge scene, remember? It wasn't a huge scene. It was a discussion. He was perfectly reasonable. He said she had choices, and he ended it by saying she should do what she wants. Those might have been the words, but the tone was something else. I remember anger and shouting. I remember a level of hostility that drove me from the living room and had me hiding in my bedroom for hours. But that was me. I hated fights. Margot welcomed them. And Anne? <laughs> Anne was always able to simply tune out the bad. I'm just saying, I try to explain, since Margot isn't here to defend herself, that in some regard she had it worse than we did. His expectations for her were high. Anne gives a twisted smile. Oh, yeah, expectations. He had none for me. That made it easy. She tosses off the statement like it's a good thing. But I wonder. The lightness is a cover for what sounds like hurt. Either that's new, or I was simply too wound up in my own thoughts to see it before. Wanting the space between us gone, I loop my arm through hers and lean just that little bit her way. How is he about that now? Expectations? Good, actually. He has mellowed, Mal. Blame it on memory if you want, but he doesn't hold grudges the way he used to. And as for Sunnyside Up, he doesn't know what to do with someone who owns an eatery, so he's open-minded. Does he ask you questions about it? Sometimes, like how do I know to fry his eggs over easy, or where do I get these terrific mugs? He doesn't ask about the money part of it. I'm not sure he can relate to that. To running a business? I ask in surprise. Business law was his specialty in private practice. I think it's just the fact that I'm doing it. He still relates to business, at least to hear his remarks when he's going through the Wall Street Journal. So he does read it? Well, he must if he's able to repeat what he does. He still gets it, Mal, just not, she hesitates, all the time. Her back stiffens, eyes sharpen. But I know what you're thinking, and you're wrong. This is not cause for dragging him to an Alzheimer's specialist. He's 72. Everyone who's 72 forgets things. By the time you reach that age, there's so much junk crammed in the brain that stuff just overflows and is lost. Dad does not have Alzheimer's disease. I don't want him labeled that way. So if that's why you're here, it's not, Annie. Not. But you're worried that I'm not taking care of him. No, I'm worried that he's doing things behind your back. Like buying a gun? I told you Jack was dreaming that up, but okay, she nods. I search the house anyway. 
I checked his bedroom and the kitchen. I looked inside planters in the conservatory and under cushions in the living room and behind hats and gloves in the hall closet. I looked behind books. I'm telling you, I looked everywhere I could think of where he might have hidden a gun, but there was nothing. Nothing. I glance at the hatch. Not up there? Especially not there. She seems wounded that I suggested it. That's the first place I checked, because he likes going up. I think there's something about the oldness of what's there, or maybe the smell of time, and his diaries. He loves reading those. This isn't the first time he's brought a few down. Her voice has risen. So yeah, it was the first place I checked. That would be an obvious place to hide a gun, right? But there isn't one up there. And here's another thing, Mallory. He's so forgetful that I honestly think if he stashed a gun somewhere, he'd forget where it is. Which returns us to his mental health. There's medication for that. Her eyes flare. Not Alzheimer's. It's okay, Annie. I try to soothe her. It doesn't have to be Alzheimer's. Doesn't have to be dementia at all. It can simply be memory loss. But unless you go to the right doctor, you won't get the right help. Will you tell him that? She is indignant now. Will you convince him that his mind is failing and he needs help? Will you take him there? Yes. Anne barks out a laugh. And <laughs> you seriously think he'll agree to it? Pulling free, she stands. As she looks down at me, her drawback dark hair with its burgundy streak seems too stark, her jaw too tight. I barely have time to brace myself when she says, See, that's what I hate, Mallory. You don't see him every day. Like, haven't spent any significant time with him in 20 years, but suddenly you're an expert? Put that way, I feel totally wrong, both for having abandoned Anne and for disagreeing with what she's chosen to do on her own. But there's a flip side. Gently, sensibly, pleadingly, I say, no, I'm not an expert, and you're right. I haven't spent enough time with him to know much. But because I don't see him every day, I can see the change since I saw him last. Since you saw him last, she rolls her eyes and sighs, though she is anything but relaxed. So he's three years older. So he forgets things. So he doesn't want to go places. So he's sometimes depressed because he actually loved mom and she's gone. And he actually loved Margot, and he actually loved you. And all he's got now is me. So I try to make things easier for him. And if that means overlooking small stuff, I do. I don't care if he sits reading in his chair for hours. I don't care if he's turning pages just for the heck of it. That doesn't mean he's sick. Put that way, it doesn't. Unless he isn't reading at all because the words make no sense. Unless he's depressed because he knows his mind is rotting. Unless he doesn't want to go places because he fears he'll meet friends whose names he can't remember. And besides, Anne says, do you think I haven't thought of these things? Do you think I haven't searched the web to compare him with other people his age? Do you think I haven't read and reread the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease? I'm not stupid, Mallory. I know the possibilities. I just refuse to assume the worst because other people think they know better. I don't. You do. But how can you? How can anyone? It's impossible to diagnose Alzheimer's for sure until a person is dead. And here's a flash. Dad isn't dead. He's still living, and he may live for a long time. Am I supposed to treat him like he has one foot in the grave? I refuse to do that. I'm living here with him, trying to keep up his spirits, trying to make his life easy and pleasant, even fun. So if you suddenly think you have all the answers, let's hear them. She jots out her chin, 
rounds her eyes in demand, and stands there, waiting. I hold up my hands, half afraid to speak. I always think of Anne as young, because she acts it and dresses it and is just that little bit younger than me. But there's something weary in her now. Something wary. The Anne staring at me is someone new. Why did you come? She finally asks. If it's because you want to see whether I'm taking care of things, you can head back to New York in the morning. Everything's fine here. She turns to leave, then swivels back. And anyway, how long are you staying? Uh, Joy wants to stay the week. Actually, I try to make a joke of it. <laughs> she wants to stay the whole summer. Anne looks horrified. The whole summer? You can't do that. No, I can't. But her tone annoys me. It is everything I've always dreaded about this place. The sense of not belonging. Annoys me? Infuriates me. This is as much my house as Anne's. Technically, I can stay as long as I want. Part of the reason I'm here, I tell her, doing my best to sound conciliatory while I make my point, is because you made me feel guilty when we talked on the phone. I can't stay here long. I have to be back at work a week from tomorrow. But I thought you'd want my help even for a little while. Not if it comes with strings. Like my forcing you to do what you don't want to do? Have I ever done that? Not in words. Accusatory eyes finish the sentence. I should have hedged and apologized and reassured her, but not in words rubs me the wrong way, too. Not in words is what I most detest about this place. Not in words is all that I didn't understand about why I am who I am. My parents didn't discuss things. As a parent now, I do. As an adult now, I do. And Anne's accusation is wrong. Perhaps unwisely, but unable to hold it in, I say, that's your insecurity speaking. She jerks back. Insecurity? I am not insecure. I know who I am and what I'm doing and who I'm doing it with, which also means I can date who I want. The last is a clear reference to Billy Houseman. I'm not a child, so if you think you can treat me like Joy, you can turn right around and drive back to New York tonight. Don't even bother to unpack. You can get dinner on the road. I barely have time to stand before she storms out. What to do? I don't belong here. Anne's outburst validates my having stayed away for so long. That said, alone in this barren bedroom, I feel a great emptiness. Anne is my little sister. In all those years we lived here together, we never went at each other this way. Granted, what happened 20 years ago fractured us. Granted, my life is light years removed from Anne's. I'm a different person now. Apparently, she is too. She resents me, deeply. <sighs> what to do? She is angry. Oh, she doesn't mean what she said. Well, maybe she does mean the words, but certainly not the hatred I felt receiving them. And if I take her advice and leave tonight? My father won't know the difference. He'll forget I was here. I've seen the house, and it's not falling down, as Jack implied, and he has seen me too. I came, I saw, I checked off that box. But is Dad a murderer? Is he a danger to Anne or Jack or some other innocent in town? Oh, what to do? I'm still standing in the guest bedroom, 
not knowing where my steps should lead, when I hear faint strains of the piano drifting up the stairs, around the turret, and along the hall. Crossing to the door, I lean against the jam and listen to Joy, who is tentative at first, then more confident. She is playing by heart. No, no prodigy, but she does have an ear for music. I recognize Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata, though there is a slight deviation in the usual rhythm. Joy is being joy, either simply feeling the music or knowing that I need soothing. Oh, I listen, breathe deeply, and feel calmer. We'll stay here, of course. She would be crushed if I dragged her away from something she has just discovered and so badly wants. She has just as much right to this place as I do. And if Anne doesn't like it, that's her problem. Actually, it's my problem. By the time dinner is done, I realize that. I try to make conversation with Dad, ask how his wrist feels, whether he's read anything good, whether he'll take me to Sunnyside up for breakfast tomorrow. But he answers each with a yes or a no. When nothing follows, I try to make conversation with Anne, ask whether she hires more help for the summer, mention that I saw Deanna Smith and Joey Domenico and a blonde-haired woman. Girl, actually who looked so much like Elizabeth McKay that I got the chills. Dad doesn't react to the Elizabeth mention, and my sister simply says that her name is Lily and that she works at the shop. Lily? I ask, startled. I realize that this must be the woman Dad stares at. Short for Elizabeth? The coincidence would be too much. Short for Amelia, Anne states. Amelia Ackerman from Boise, Idaho. Her stare tells me that she knows what I'm thinking and am wrong. On the plus side, Anne has served the steak pre-sliced for all of us, so that Dad can easily handle it without using his left hand. I have to give her points for foresight. And they both do talk to Joy, even my father, who asks surprisingly good questions. How long have you studied the piano? Where do you go to school? What's your favorite subject? They're sensible questions, the kind any grandparent might ask, to which Anne looks smug. Me? I'm relieved to hear him this way. I don't want him to have Alzheimer's disease. I don't want him to have dementia, period. Then, abruptly and wordlessly, he stands and leaves the table. We've barely finished our steak. Fresh from the oven brownies are cooling on the stove for dessert. Joy watches him go with a look of alarm, before glancing at me... Then at Anne. Was it something I said? No, hun. He's just tired, Anne explains. He gets like that sometimes. The way he just picked up and left? That was weird, Joy says. My sister snickers. Not with my father. He engages and disengages at will. He was always that way, she says, shooting me a look that dares me to disagree. I can't. Yes, Dad always did what he wanted when he wanted, to hell with social norms. We assumed it was just an authoritative personality doing its own thing. In this instance, though, it could be that the effort to be normal has exhausted him, which happens to those with Alzheimer's, I've read. But right now, that's neither here nor there. As I load the dishwasher, while beside me, not three feet away, a silent Anne cuts into the brownie pan, I'm thinking that this week could be tough. Between my father and her, I'm invisible. Okay, 
So this week isn't about me. It isn't even about whether Dad shot Elizabeth. This week is about joy. Still, how not to take it personally, given my history here? I don't need, don't want to be the center of attention, but I can only ask so many questions about Anne, about Dad, about Bay Bluff before silence sets in. Back in New York, Joy has plenty to say at my slightest suggestion, has plenty to initiate herself. And when silence settles there, it's a comfortable one. This one is not. Aren't they curious about my life? Do they care at all that I'm here? The brownies are yummy, as I knew they would be. Anne always knew her way around a kitchen, even when we were kids. And the vanilla ice cream she scoops on top, quickly melting on the brownies' warmth? Ooh, I have two helpings. I am that desperate to show Anne that I appreciate her efforts. But it isn't until I tell her Joy and I will finish cleaning up that she brightens. Tossing the dish towel aside with a flourish, she announces that she's going out, tells us, uh, me, not to wait up, and breezes out the back door. Joy stares after her before turning baffled eyes on me. Did she even tell Papa she was leaving? Of course not. Doing that would have ruined the drama of her exit. Take care of everything here, her flourish said. Everything. Feeling newly responsible, I go looking for my father. He is asleep in his chair, head back, mouth open. I watch him for a minute, seeing so much older a man than the one in my memories that I feel a great sadness. But he needs to be in bed. Daddy, I whisper, gently shaking his arm. He comes awake with a jolt, looks around, then straight at me with piercing, if faded, blue eyes. He knows just where he is. I'm the only thing out of place. Mallory? He asks, curious. He knows my face, and curious is better than disappointed. My heart leaps. It is me. He considers that with a frown, studying me for so long I have to fight not to squirm like a frightened child. Then his eyes clear and sadden. In a voice that is filled with regret, he says, it was guilt. I wait for more. Terrified that he'll leave it there, I gently coax. What was? Why she left. We had an agreement. Neither of us would tell. My heart beats faster. Tell what? What she did. Why she did it. We made a pact. I wouldn't tell about her if she didn't tell about me. Many couples do that. They have to, to survive. When there are children involved and reputations, his gaze clouds and, like his voice, drifts away. Agreement. Pact. Children. The words reverberate, fading in and out. He's talking about Elizabeth, of course. Or is he? My rational mind has a second rational interpretation, but it's so abhorrent that I chalk it up to fear. I need more. I feel more. There's a memory here, but I can't touch it. Dad, I whisper. His eyes fly to mine. Do you know where she went? He looks back at me. Who? He asks, as though just now joining the discussion. 
and for several beats I can't answer. There's something about that memory. Try as I might, though, I get nowhere. All that's left is common sense in the here and now. Elizabeth, I say. Elizabeth, he repeats and is suddenly back. How would I know that? I've told you time and again. She was on the boat one minute and off it the next. Why are you bringing up Elizabeth? I swallow. Well, you mentioned her, so I thought- Thought what? He barks. The man with answers is gone. Whether willfully or beyond his control, the moment of confession is lost. Releasing a breath, I say as gently as I can, why don't you go to bed? He scowls at his watch. I never go to bed this early. You were just sleeping. I was not. I'm not old and I'm not sick. He flicks me away. Go, now. I have reading to do before morning. Backing off, I rejoin Joy at the archway and take her hand. We'll be outside, I call his way. Let me know if you need anything. What would I need? My father shouts. I have everything I need, and if I need something, I can get it myself. Perfectly capable of doing that, you know. A broken wrist doesn't make me infirm. Absurdly, his outburst works for me. My father was always moody, quick to anger, a stickler for what he sees as fact. But I have my daughter with me now. She is my fact. Leaving the man and my little bits of memory behind, I continue onto the deeply shadowed porch. Is he always like that? Joy asks when the screen door slaps shut. No, he's angry. Because we're here? Because we haven't been here before. And because he probably does not have reading to do. And because he can't remember things he wants to, and he knows that his life is narrowing in. Getting older can be beautiful or not. I tug her down beside me on the steps and drawl, aren't you glad we're here? A pair of geese pass overhead, honking in laughter. Joy isn't laughing. I am. We don't get this in New York. She is staring out across the darkening heather toward the ocean. I can't imagine seeing this every day. It must have been awesome. The dying sun is edging the horizon's clouds an orangey pink. Closer to shore, the surf has settled into a gentle gather and break. Sage is in the air, carried in from the bluff on the breeze. I need my camera. No, some experiences are better experienced in the flesh. Some memories are better formed firsthand. And sitting here, arm to arm, hip to hip with my daughter as the sun sets, is one. So much can change, I whisper, since speaking louder seems sacrilegious. But this stays the same. Joy's mind has wandered. Papa likes the piano. He came in while I was playing, just stood there listening. I mean, right at the end of the keyboard, and he was staring at my hands like he'd never seen hands before and wanted to see what they could do. So naturally, I got nervous. My fingers started to stutter. I smile. I thought you did that on purpose. It sounded like improv. Nuh-uh, just mess up. Why does he have a piano? I mean, like, who plays? No one. But hope dies hard. He thought learning to play was a must for girls, so he bought a piano. 
none of us took the bait. He didn't make you? Oh, he tried. But after a few weeks of our practicing while he was home, he caved. Now you've come along to play his piano the way it should be played. I'd say his weight was worth it. She leans into me and says with a pout, you say that because you love me. I say it because it's true. And because I do know she loves hearing it. So who said things like that to you when you were growing up here? Uh, my mother? When Joy slides me a you-don't-sound-sure look, I say with greater conviction, my mother. Seeming satisfied with that, she rests her head on my shoulder. The purpling sky soothes. Oh, this is so nice, she says, and it is. My daughter keeps me in the present, which is where I want to be. Then, upstairs in my bedroom, she falls asleep, and my grip on the present wavers. While she breathes deeply, her warmth pressed to my arm, I lie awake thinking of this room, this house, the people my family had been back then. I hear flutters in the attic. Bats we kids knew, just knew, and my eyes fix on the ceiling, waiting for something to break through and whip around in the dark. When nothing does, just as nothing did then, I close my eyes again and listen to the ocean in real time rather than dreams. It is as beautiful, as soothing as I remember. After a while, I hear my father's footsteps on the stairs. Slipping from bed, I creep to the door and put my ear to the wood. It occurs to me to go out there and see if he needs help with his cast. But I can't begin to imagine helping this man undress. He was never a touchy-feely guy. If he held my hand when I was a child, it was to lead me somewhere, not to impart warmth. He never dressed me, never tied a ribbon in my hair. I don't recall whether he ever actually hugged me. His door closes. Quietly, I return to the bed and am about to climb in when I pause. Changing my mind, I go to the window. The heather is a dark blur, the Sabathian house even darker. Memories of this knock at the door of my mind, good ones right up until the end. So many nights I stood watch at this spot, eyes glued to the second floor window, wondering if Jack was awake and would signal. Standing here now, I have a clear vision of his maglites burst. Three, one, one, repeated twice in quick succession. It is a minute before I realize that I'm not imagining it. Chapter 7 I hold my breath. The signal comes again. Quickly, silently, I pull my Bay Bluff sweatshirt over the loose tee I sleep in and hop into sweatpants, one leg, then the other. Flip-flops in hand, I tiptoe to the door, open it carefully, and, after checking to be sure Joy is still asleep, inch it closed. Avoiding creaks, my bare feet whisper down the stairs and run lightly through the kitchen and mudroom to the side door, the one we always took to the beach. It isn't until the cool air hits me that I stop dead still. This has all been pure habit, true muscle memory. From the time I was 15 and found Jack, until I was 19 and left home, I responded to that light. Now at 39, I wonder what in the hell I'm doing. The signal? Our signal? After all this time, all this acrimony? 
If I go down to the beach, what do I hope to find? I don't know. That's the thing. But I had seen his light, and there is no way I cannot respond. Slipping on my flip-flops, I walk along the side path at a more adult pace, giving myself plenty of time to rethink what I'm doing. But I can't find a reason to turn back. If I've misinterpreted the signal, I'll be alone on the beach. If not, well, I'll find out why he sent it in the first place. The moon is a slim cradle that comes and goes through fingers of clouds. Though there's enough light to see, I hold the railing as I take the stairs, because my eyes aren't on my feet. They're searching the beach. It isn't until I'm at the bottom and starting toward the Sabathian side that a dark figure takes shape at the end. Fortunately, he's well before the outcropping of rocks that used to hide us from the world. I'm not sure I could have dealt with those particular memories. He doesn't meet me halfway. No, he's making me commit. But then, he always did. Jack understood that I wanted to please. His mission was to make me take a stand, which, of course, I did when Elizabeth couldn't be found. Unfortunately, my stand wasn't compatible with his. His hands are under the tails of a tee, tucked in the pockets of his shorts. Arms, legs, and feet are all bare, all long and well-formed. This is not memory. This is fact. I pass the fire pit, which is a murky saucer in a field of dim sand. When I'm just close enough, I stop. You called? I might have quipped, had our recent history not been so taut, but my insides are in a knot. I have no idea what to expect. Another throwback? He is chewing on the corner of his mouth. Good. So I'm not the only one feeling weird. That was one of the things we used to talk about all the time, feeling weird in one's own home. Because if I had family issues, Jack's were worse. I'd seen firsthand his attempts to get his parents' attention. But his father was forever distracted by one intellectual cause or another. And his mother, <laughs> self-absorbed. Her disappearance would have poured salt on the wound of being her son for sure, for sure. Her disappearance would have exaggerated his long-running sense of abandonment. Realizing that, I feel the urge to fill the awkward silence with consoling words, even to touch his arm. But I'm afraid to reach out lest I be bitten. Like dog, like man. Speaking of which, I ask, where's your dog? Sleeping. Where's your daughter? Same. A tiny wave breaks, rolling our way in a whisper meant as backdrop alone, because we're the main attraction, Jack Sab and me. I've broken the silence by speaking first, and I can easily make other conversation. Middle children are practiced at lessening awkward moments, and here in my hometown, I'm the middle child. But I've been away for a long time, been a different person for that long time, and I didn't call this meeting. So I wrap my arms around my middle, clutching the folds of the sweatshirt, and wait. Finally, he says, I overstepped with her. Did I screw up? The words are right, even if the tone isn't exactly apologetic. But then I don't know how to be with him either. No, I say, grateful for the statement regardless. I'll just tell her it won't work. It will on my end. I can always use help. We're only here a week. 
Is it worth training her for that little? Training, he mocks. To give love to frightened pets who are caged up, waiting for treatment, feeling abandoned? She was a fast learner when it came to my dog. Where'd she come from, by the way? Startled, I'm silent for a breath. Then I echo, come from? I hope he doesn't mean what I think. New York, with me. But who's her father? Bingo. That's my Jack. Filtered, not. There are any number of answers I might give to succinctly end the conversation. Lord knew I've used many of them over the years. But strangers with inappropriate questions are one thing. Jack Sabathian, another. I never lied to him. He might have thought it, but what I said about my father was what I believed. Honestly, now I say, I have no idea. Really? You? I don't bother to answer. He's thinking I was drunk, which goes to show how faulty memory can be. I didn't drink, never had. There was nothing spontaneous or irresponsible or unplanned about conceiving joy, and it had been worth every terrifying minute. One night stand, he asks. Sperm donor, I reply. That draws a curious half-smile, splitting dark stubble, which the moon appears just in time to reveal. Seriously? Why not? Because, he says without missing a beat, you can have any man you want. Why use a donor? Maybe, I say without missing my own beat. Because I don't like the men who want me. But I wanted a child. Does she know? Absolutely. Joy and I know how to communicate. I told her as soon as she was old enough to understand. Not making the same mistakes my parents did. My mind adds, and he hears that part too. His voice is faintly subdued. Was it hard? The telling? No harder than explaining adoption. Mommy had a gazillion choices, but she wanted you. It's different from adoption. You know what I mean. There's a similar issue of, doesn't he want to know who I am? I feel a niggling of guilt, thinking of all the times my daughter has asked this. But no, she accepts. She understands, and only in part from the books we read of the why-don't-I-have-a-daddy type. In time, she came to see how many of her friends were being raised by single parents, making me no different at all. But my niggling remains. It's the guilt that I feel, me personally. It's in subjecting my daughter to the same insecurity I felt myself about my own roots. But this is the memory that's just beyond my grasp, and Kurt Jack isn't done with his questions. Doesn't he want to know her? He doesn't know she exists. I snap, annoyed that he has so quickly dredged up my guilt. That's how it works. You see characteristics and a number, never a name. Why are you making a big deal about this, Jack? He doesn't have an answer for that. But the fact that he's been so blunt gets me going. He wants me to stand up for myself? Fine. Fair is fair. So do you know where Elizabeth is? He stares at me, then looks away and scratches the back of his head. By the time he returns, he is quiet. Not one word since she disappeared from your father's boat. How about you? Did you find the gun? We just got here. I haven't had time to look. Do you think she's dead then? What else can I think? 
She was never a family person, but what kind of mother would leave her husband and son without a word? His voice is deeper than when we were kids, but vulnerable still, even after all these years. I mean, no note, no call, no email, no text, ever. Again, I think to touch him. Again, I hold back. But I do feel his pain. My sensitivity to him hasn't changed. Your dad heard nothing? He makes a throaty sound that doesn't quite mesh with the tranquility of the sleepy waves trickling close by our feet. He'd be the last one to hear. They barely talked. He could have been a renter in the house for all she cared. Did he look for her? He? No. He just waited to see if she'd show up. He was like that. Mr. Passive. Me? Yeah, I looked. All that fall, I looked. I drove from one little coast town to the next. I read their newspapers and talked with their cops. I figured that if she'd washed up somewhere with no memory, someone would report it. Same if a boat picked her up and she didn't know who she was. How could anyone for miles not know who she was? I ask, astounded. Okay, 20 years ago, Google wasn't what it is now. But her disappearance made headlines. Yeah, well, I kept asking myself that too, he says. Hanging a hand on the back of his neck while his dark eyes hold mine. Only not everyone reads the paper or watches the news. Some people live with their heads in the sand. Like ignoring dementia? Ignoring the risk of a gun? He may not be thinking those things at all. I'm probably being oversensitive. But he was headed in this direction earlier when Joy was here and it was a dead-end street. Please don't go there again, I beg. And in a more cool-headed voice, return to the larger discussion. Wouldn't her body have washed up somewhere? Not if it was weighted. Weighted? We all watch The Sopranos. I'm appalled. It isn't that he didn't talk about murder back then, or that I haven't considered it lately myself, but a gun is one thing. Weighted is something else. Weighted means tying something heavy to a body and pushing it overboard. Weighted means premeditated. I wish I could see his eyes to know if he's serious, but the sliver of moon isn't cooperating just then. You're saying my father shot her, then made sure the body would never surface? That is sick, Jack. Turning, I start back toward the dock. Still running away? He calls in a taunt that stops my flight. He's right. I whip back, needing this discussion. He wouldn't kill her. He loved her. Lovers kill. They kill all the time. I didn't say they were lovers. I said he loved her. There's a difference. You don't think they had sex? Maybe before they were married, but not after. I remember us all together. Cookouts, boat rides, even just sitting here on the beach. There were no secret looks. No sneaking off. No? <laughs> I remember my father barely talking to yours and your mother barely talking to mine. I remember your father touching my mother's hand. I remember her touching his arm. Did they touch their own spouses? Ever? They did. Of course they did. At least I think they did. Suddenly, though, as I struggle to see it, I'm not sure. N no? I ask, wondering if I had missed something there but my indecision is short-lived. Of the other, I am entirely sure. 
My father didn't kill her. He was as frantic as any of us looking for her that night on the beach. Sure he was, Jack says. His head is lowered, eyes on his foot as his heel drills a hole in the sand. He was afraid she'd wash up with a bullet in her head. The image makes me flinch. It's that vivid. And where was the blood? The boat was clean. His head comes up, eyes on mine. Boats can be washed. Or maybe he pushed her into the water and shot her there. That'd really be clean. You are sick. I'm about to turn and walk, not run. Walk away when he holds up a conciliatory hand. Okay, maybe it wasn't that. But put yourself in my shoes. I've spent 20 years trying to figure out where she went and why. So forget family. Think business. She founded a company. She loved it more than anything on earth. There's no way she would deliberately walk away from that, even if it was going downhill. Especially if it was going downhill. Was it? I ask. That would be a new twist, though not surprising. Elizabeth had been on the ground floor of electronics, creating a computer in the mid-70s that was small and powerful. Unfortunately, her company was similarly small. It couldn't begin to compete with the apples of the world. Jack looks like he hadn't meant to blurt it out, but he isn't a liar any more than I am. Yes, he admits. Couldn't that be a motive? For her to jump ship and leave the mess for someone else to clean up? She wasn't a quitter. She quit on her family. You can only quit if you've signed on, but she never did with us. Know how many business trips she took? How many days at a time she was gone? How many important life events she missed? Like birthdays and anniversaries and football playoffs and... He stopped the list with a sputter. Besides, where would she go? Margot remembers seeing a second boat, which the Coast Guard couldn't find. If Margot saw something, it was a mirage. So where would my mother go? Did you talk with her family? Hands on his hips, he faces me straight on. Of course I did. I'm not stupid, Mallory. I forgive him the tone. I'm as frustrated as you are. No way. Yes, way. What happened to your mother directly impacts my father. You don't think I've wondered for 20 years? You don't think the not knowing is part of what kept me away? He is quiet. I sigh. So, her family, any clue? Nah, they were estranged. But she kept their name when she got married. She didn't want to take my father's name. Says something right there, you know? Not that a name ties you to family either way. I used to see cousins when I was a kid, so things were fine at first, but then something happened. I never knew the cause. Did you ask? He snorts. Of course he asked. Jack Sabathian wouldn't not ask. What did they say? Nothing. My mother said nothing. My cousins said nothing. My uncle, mom's only sibling, refused to talk with me on the phone, so I tracked him down, went all the way to friggin' Tallahassee. He refused to talk about it even in person. Just him and me, and I badgered. Didn't get anywhere. But he'd made the effort. From the sound of it, he had gone well beyond what the local police or my father and his private investigators had done. I have to give Jack credit for that. I'm sorry. It'd be nice to know. Yeah, well, life doesn't always work that way. I do know that. 
Ten years after my parents divorced, Margot called in a tearful rant about an auto accident that she claimed mom wouldn't have been anywhere near if dad hadn't made her feel so unwanted that she dated anyone who asked, including a guy with a history of DUIs. An auto accident. She was dead before I could ask her about all the things I didn't know. Which is about me. But we are talking about Jack. Where's your dad now? Berkeley. He gave it a couple of years here, but the memories were hard to take. I'd have thought you'd leave too. Bending, he picks up a rock and wings it into the sea. And let your father off the hook? He asks almost distractedly. Are you kidding? I want him to see me here in this house, year after year after year, and remember the family he destroyed. I can't imagine nurturing that kind of bitterness. How do you do that? Live with constant anger. A piece of driftwood is bobbing in the shallows. Sloshing over, he catches it and lobs it toward the fire pit. Then he straightens and puts his hands on his hips, thumbs bearing the weight while his fingers lie long and loose against the cotton tee. He takes a visible breath. My work helps. Animals appreciate what you do for them. Pets give the unconditional love parents can't. I want to tell him that what I feel for joy is unconditional to the extreme. But Elizabeth never felt that. Nor, really, did my mother, or she'd have answered the questions I lacked the courage to ask. With mention of Jack's work, we've come full circle, but I don't want to leave him just yet. I always felt a connection to the boy he used to be. Time and adversity haven't changed that. I hated the anger between us 20 years ago and would give anything to replace those memories with kinder ones. It has nothing to do with my being the peacemaker and everything to do with my feelings for Jack. The past may be over, but I want us to be friends. Returning to the splotch of a fire pit, I sit on one of the logs at its edge and hug my knees. He continues to stand for a while, ankle deep in the surf as he studies the midnight sky on the far horizon. Looking for Elizabeth, as Anne claims? No. He's looking there because it's beautiful, because it puts provincial Bay Bluff in context and reminds us that we're part of a larger world. Way back when, we used to look at that horizon and imagine the places we'd go and the things we'd share. I know he has gone places since. I googled him after he called. <laughs> of course I did. He got his degree in veterinary medicine at UC Davis, one of the best. And I'm sure he didn't limit his travels to California. I'm sure he traveled. But I refuse to believe it was the same as we imagined. Because I went places too. It wasn't worse without him, just different. But this is history. And here we are in Bay Bluff, eyeing that same horizon, we often talked about the comfort of the sea. Surprising, given the circumstances. I feel it now. Apparently Jack does too, because after several minutes he joins me at the fire pit. Once upon a time, we shared a log. Margot would glare each time, and while I cared, Jack did not. Now, though, he sits one log over with his legs sprawled. We don't talk. I might have remembered nights when this fire blazed and we were all here, or nights when it was just Jack and me. But I don't want to remember. Right now, I'm the me who lives in the moment, and this moment is nostalgic in an undemanding way. Why did you call me? 
I ask. I haven't planned to speak, but there is my voice. And then his. Because I felt bad. I shouldn't interfere with your daughter. I mean, in New York, after my father showed up at your house. Why did you call me and not Margot or Anne? Because you're the only one in the family with brains. That's not true. Margot is the intellect of the family, and Anne is running a successful restaurant. The only one with common sense. They have it. Not when it comes to your parents. And I do? I make a guttural sound. <laughs> That's rich. When it comes to my parents, I'm raw emotion in an airtight jar. Well, you're the only one I trust, he states in the deep voice that I'd loved once. And okay, yes, maybe that's what I need to hear. Maybe I need to know that a little of the past remains for him too. If I say it, of course, he may deny it or start in on my father again. So I just nod and lower my arms around my legs, folding my body in two. Cold? He asks. I shake my head and focus on the waves. Their rhythm is a lullaby, sweet, soothing, elementary. That takes me back in the best of ways. And I'm definitely back there when I feel Jack's foot brush mine, warmth in the night chill as he shifts his legs. Was it accident or intention? I don't know. But I don't move, barely breathe. That one glancing touch brings so many memories that I'm momentarily engulfed. Your father knows. Pop, the bubble bursts. Convinced that I imagined his touch, I turn my head so that my cheek rests on my thigh. His face is in profile, the nose that is too sharp for beauty but so reflects his manner as to be laughable. His bearded jaw, chin and upper lip, the protrusion of his brow that tells of a frown. He turns to me, fully rational and in control. He knows what happened that night. If we assume my mother's dead, he's the only witness left. That's another reason I called you. He's losing it. Someone needs to get the truth out of him before it's gone. So, his major concern when he called me in New York wasn't the gun. The gun was an excuse. His worry is that the way things are going, my father's mind will shrivel up and crush everything inside. Just take it right away. He's thinking Alzheimer's too. I know he is, and I want to discuss this with him. But we're already in agreement here. He wants answers about his mother. I want answers about mine. I try to think how to approach my father. Oh, it's a sensitive topic. It needs to be done. Anne is protective. Anne is overprotective. Which means I need to work directly with Dad. He puts up a wall when I'm around. I'm walking on eggshells. It's just asking questions. He doesn't like questions, especially intrusive ones. Would you rather he take it all to the grave? Of course not. I want to know whether my father loved my mother, whether he loved me. And if not, why not? And he's the only one who can say. I just have to figure out the best way to do it. Time's running out, Jack warns. I know. So do it. Isn't that why you're here? It isn't why I've come. I've come for joy. At least, that was the premise. But seeing Dad again, seeing this place, even being here on the beach where so many watershed moments occurred, I feel a deeper calling. 
Yes, it's about retrieving the past. Mallory, he says in the forceful way he always had. I will. I want to say I am resolved to act, but all I can think of as I walk back to the house is that confronting my father won't be fun. I remind myself that I'm an adult now, a mother, and a professional. When it comes to this man, though, I'm still a child. And suddenly, into that childhood moment comes a memory. It's a recurring dream that I put behind me when I left Bay Bluff and haven't allowed in for years. In it, my mother goes off somewhere, leaving us three alone with Dad, who keeps doubling his normal size. Margot and Anne don't seem to see it, despite my yelling and pointing and jumping up and down. They're not afraid, but I am. I don't want my father to see me and attack. So I make myself invisible by becoming a butterfly. No, an ant. No, an owl. Emerging only at night when everyone else is asleep. Coming so soon after thinking myself an owl, I'm wide awake when I reach the house. Anne's car is back, but since she isn't downstairs, I assume she's in bed. I'm sorry for that. I would have liked to ease the awkwardness between us. We used to talk after dates. Not that I've been on a date, but she had. A date? A party? A sleeping with sans sleep? <laughs> Whatever. I want to know more about Billy Houseman. Resigned for now to failure in that, I take my laptop from the kitchen and turn on a small lamp in the living room. After moving just enough books aside so that I can curl into a corner of the sofa, I pull up Margot's latest column. She typically writes about family issues in response to correspondence from readers. Too often to be coincidental, I see our family in her words. This one is a case in point. It is a poignant piece about the prospect of Father's Day when one has no father to toast, and while the focus is on fathers who have died, I can easily guess she's thinking of us. She talks about sadness, about the emptiness of the chair at the head of the table, and the clothes gathering dust in the closet. She talks about celebrating the man a father once was and doing something to make him proud. Accept what you can't change by changing what you can't accept, she advises. And at first read, it sounds preposterous. A dead person is dead, right? When she launches into honoring memories by living the best of who that person was, though, I see where she's headed. She isn't thinking of dad. She's thinking of mom. Having been to Margot's house multiple times, I've seen how she keeps fresh peonies, year-round, in a clear vase on her kitchen island. Mom did that. Though where either of them found peonies in the middle of winter was anyone's guess. I'm not there yet with regard to mom. With regard to dad, though? Accept what you can't change by changing what you can't accept. I cannot accept that I'll never know the truths I seek. And while my solution is less honorable than Margot's, she isn't here, is she? That means I can avoid confrontation by becoming a snoop. When I wake up Saturday morning, Joy is gone. A note lies on the pillow. Taking Papa down the hill for breakfast. Come when you wake up. I will. First, though, I'm hunting for a gun.